special technique. Spe <laughs> special technique of shadow boxing. Hello, uh, what's going on everyone? This is the Sunday, February 9th, 2020 episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. Uh, this is brought to you by Go Long Media. And uh, I am your host, James Bell, uh, the leader of the Boxing Source on social media and the um, boxing analyst for the cohort truth on sports. You could uh, get boxing articles from the boxing source.net. Uh, you can also check out the CHG on sports.com. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, the boxing source. Uh, you can go on Instagram, follow us there on Instagram, the boxing source. Follow us on Twitter at Boxing Source 2, and you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. The number to dial in is 347-237-5539. That is 347-237-5539. Press 1 key to get on cue. You'll be able to talk live on the show. Um, We're trying to get through uh, about 90 minutes of uh, boxing talk. you know, been going through some adversity, to say the least, over the past week. Um, so, trying to get you know through through this particular episode. Uh, but um, you know, we're going to you know cover what happened over in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, we had you know three fights that were on Showtime. Uh, headlined by the WBC featherweight championship between Gary Russell Jr. and Tukstuk Nyambayar. Um, so, going to uh, get through all of that. I uh, wanted to, you know, go uh, first with, you know, what we saw in the main event on Showtime. Gary Russell Jr. versus Tukstuk Nyambayar. Mr. Gary Russell Jr., coming in there as the defending WBC featherweight champion. Uh, you know, and he was there with a record of 30-1. and one. Tucson Yambayar uh, came in there as the mandatory contender for the WBC featherweight championship uh, with a record of 11-0 and 0, uh, and became the... Uh, Mandatory contender in his fight last year, where he defeated Claudio Marrero, um, and you know we have the you know the whole thing with um you know Gary Russell Jr. I've you know interviewed Mr. Gary Russell Jr. 
you know, face-to-face interview uh, over at the Enigma Boxing Gym and then uh, getting in contact with him uh, over the phone on Tuesday before his fight on Saturday. So we still have that interview available. Uh, you could catch it on anchor.fm uh, to, you know, go through that um, before, you know, going through this thing here with this fight. And, you know, this was you know, a fight that some people were looking towards because there was a lot of stock behind Tuk Sok King Tug Um, You know, he was a Olympic silver medalist. Um, you know, and he had that, you know, decorated background um, in the amateurs um, being able to, you know, win that silver, uh, you know, silver medal. And, you know, came up the ranks uh, here really quickly. Um, you know, got a string of wins in 2015, 2016. Then, like I said, um, had that win over Claudio Marrero to become the mandatory contender. Uh, he also fought a common opponent in Oscar Escandon, where he was able to defeat Escandon by uh, KO as well, as uh, you know Gary Russell Jr. did uh, a few years back at the MGM National Harbor. So um, there was a little bit of a buzz, you know, ahead of this particular fight. Um, a few people were uh, seeing if Neon Bayer, uh could be able to pull off the win over the Capitol Heights native. Um, but uh, we're going into this thing here with the you know opening rounds. Uh, you had you know Gary Russell Jr. pretty much in the show that. Uh, he had the speed advantage, even though, you know, ahead of the fight, took something on Bayer had the height and reach advantage. Uh, he's seen that Gary Russell Jr. had the speed advantage, and he was able to, you know, pump that jab, pump his uh, jab early in this particular fight. Um, and he kind of like worked his way through the start of the fight by throwing the jab, doubling up with the jab, and then occasionally throwing his left hand uh, from his softball position, um, fighting off of his back foot, welcoming uh, Neon Bayer to come forward, and then seeing what Neon Bayer could do. Um, while Neon Bayer was coming forward and coming forward, he was taking jabs and occasional left hands, but you know tried to get in a power shot uh, but early and often, Gary Russell Jr. was able to either pump his jab or pump a left hand and then get away from uh, Neon Bayer uh, before he could throw his right hand. And so those, uh, you know, I would say those first you know, four rounds or so, that's pretty much the story was that uh, Gary Russell was able to control the pace of the fight um, and control it with his jab. Uh, There were other occasions where he 
was able to uh, score with a double left against Neon Bayer. And then Neon Bayer had to, you know, think about either the jab that was coming at him or the left hands uh, that were coming at him early in this particular fight. But he was able to take all of those uh, shots from Gary Russell Jr. Uh, and continue to, you know, walk forward. Um, uh, he became a little bit more successful in trying to get to uh, Gary Russell Jr. starting in the fifth and sixth rounds. Um, but, you know, the thing with um, Gary Russell was that uh, he, you know, tried to change the pace of the fight a little bit after, you know, I'd say the sixth and seventh round where instead of fighting off of his back foot, he would come right at uh, Tuxedo Nyambayar and then open with a couple of jabs and then throw uh, combinations uh, there to see what Nyambayar could do. Um, now, Nyambayar was able to respond and, you know, became a little bit more successful uh, with his uh, punch output in starting in that second half of the fight within round seven is round eight um, and scored with a, with his uppercut. Um, and that was something that, you know, he was having as one of his keys to the fight here against Gary Russell Jr. is to try to incorporate the uppercut and see if that could be successful against the WBC featherweight champion. Uh, but he, you know, was only able to use that a couple of times, you know, within this uh, particular fight, and everything else was, you know, basically unsuccessful up until you know the ninth round or so, where it seemed like Gary Russell kind of, you know, turned down his activity a little bit, um, but you know, still was able to throw his combinations and get in his jabs uh, that he was doing. Um, and you had, you know, Tuxat Nyambayar with a lot of support at the PPL Center in Allentown, PA, from uh, the Mongolian uh, crowd that came through to see Nyambayar to see if he would be able to um, – you know, score the victory and be the uh, world champion for the first time in his pro career. Um, But, you know, even though he was, you know, kind of successful pretty much near the tail end of the fight, it wasn't enough to, like, really say that he significantly won uh, many rounds. So uh, back at the you know, end of this particular bout, you know, around I would say round round ten, I, I felt that Gary Russell Jr. had the fight in the bag. I thought he, you know, even up to the ninth round, I thought he was, you know, up at least three rounds uh, by the end of the ninth round. Uh, so Neon Bayer had to, you know, get the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth rounds in order to at least make the fight a draw. And, you know, even then, he still had Gary Russell Jr. being able to score, 
you know, the more significant punches uh, in the tail ends of those rounds uh, for him to, you know, seal, you know, the uh, proverbial victory um, ahead of when the judges uh, came with their scorecards. And uh, when they did read the, you know, scorecards, you had um, one score of 118 to 110, uh, one score of 117 to 111, and one score of 116 to 112, all for Gary Russell Jr. for him to retain the WBC Featherweight Championship in hand to Kostotnian Bayar, his first professional loss. Um, you know, have a thing here where, um, you know, Gary Russell through 867 total punches, according to this punch stats, landing 134 um, with uh, Neon Bayar throwing 122 total punches. I mean, uh, landing 122 total punches uh, out of 707 attempts. Uh, so Russell was a more active uh, fighter over the course of the fight. Um, he landed 104 power punches in comparison to Young Bayar's 101. Uh, of course, he you know pumped the jab a lot over the course of the fight, but uh, you know wasn't that successful in landing the jab. But using it as a range finder and as a you know weapon to you know keep. Neon Bayer away from him, uh, that was very effective. Uh, he threw 468 jabs, landing just 30. Um, but, you know, like I said, he was using the right jab as a as a range finder to, you know, get the positioning um, on Neon Bayer. And, you know, if you, watch the, if you watch the fight, it was a very tactical, very skillful fight between uh, these two guys. Um, it was a, you know, very good fight I felt uh, between these two fighters, um, and it was just that you know the overall skill set and experience of Gary Russell Jr. proved to be the difference in this fight, and that is you know why he was able to uh, retain the WBC uh, featherweight championship. Over Tucson Young Bayer. Now uh, he did, you know, say that after the fight, the keys, the key to the victories was the ring generalship, the hand speed, and his boxing IQ. Um, He also talked about the experience uh, that he had as a professional in comparison to King Tug, and that he pointed out that King Tug only had 11 uh, pro fights. in comparison to, you know, Gary Russell having uh, 31 uh, pro fights up to that particular point. And, you know, that uh, was enough for him to uh, win the fight. Um, so, you know, we see him uh, moving to 31 wins and one loss. And you have uh, Tuk Sotni on Bayar getting the first loss of his professional career. Now he is 11-1. and one. 
Now, with Gary Russell Jr., he did say immediately after this particular fight, the same thing that he said in the interview that we had with him on Tuesday, that he is looking to move up to 135 pounds in the lightweight division, looking for fights, particularly with Vasily Machenko and with Gavante Tank Davis. Now, we have the whole thing with Vasily Machenko trying to uh, solidify the lightweight championship fight between him and Teofimo Lopez, which we may talk about later in this particular podcast. But you also have Gavante Tank Davis uh, there at lightweight, has a regular, I think it was like the WBA regular title at lightweight, which he won when he defeated Yuri Orcus Gamboa in Atlanta. Um, and so there's trying to set up to see what would be next up for Gavante Tank Davis. Um, and and we kind of like discussed that a little bit uh, here in this particular uh, podcast with the interview, like, you know, what would happen if uh, Tank Davis did uh, fight Leo Santa Cruz, what weight class it would be at. <laughs> we wouldn't know, but that, you know, may or may not happen depending on what happens with Gavante uh, Tank Davis. He might end up being like a, a Floyd Mayweather type of person uh, <laughs> here in a bit, but I do have a couple of callers. Uh, that have come on uh, to the show. First, we have uh, from the 646. Um, he is the president of the Deontay Wilder fan club, Mr. Matthew Brown. What's going on, man? Oh, wow! oh boy. We got to go through. A, we have to go through a couple more weeks of this. Less than two weeks, baby. Less than two weeks. I can't wait. I can't wait, man. But uh, you were talking about the Gary Russell Jr. fight? Yes, I was. Uh, How how did you enjoy the card? Uh, Man, uh, of course, he had that. I was supposed to be there on assignment, but some bastard that doesn't know how to drive in Virginia (laughs) highways had the nerve to try and go 45 miles an hour on a far lane in an interstate. (laughs) Unbelievable. But I think it was a while to punishing you. All enemies of the bomb Look. squad will be dealt with, man. Until you do right by Deontay Wilder, no good is gonna come to you, Jr. <laughs> don't, nah, don't, no, no, no. Because I'm, because, because if there's gonna be no good that's gonna come to me, then I'm gonna end up in jail if if they <laughs> decide. If they if they make a judgment against me in a couple in a month or so, then yeah, I'll end up being in jail. Yes, that is on wax, and yes, I will end up being in jail. 
Um, in reference to this particular fight card, um, you know, the main event, the main event to me uh, was, you know, a little bit better than, you know, I expected. It was a, I'd say it was a good tactical fight between Russell and Neon Bayer. Um, and, you know, even though I kind of like felt that Neon Bayer didn't necessarily do as well in this fight at the beginning in comparison to Jojo Diaz, he still was able to hold his own over the course of the particular fight. Um, and if he had, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, experience behind him and more versatile versatility, excuse me, uh, behind him, then uh, we would have had a real fight on our hands uh, there. So, you know, that's what I, I thought about the main event. Yeah, but I think, um, honestly, I thought it was an easy fight. I thought it was easy work for Gary Russell. You know, to me, Nyan bought only won maybe three rounds. If you want to be generous, you can argue four. But I think three rounds, two rounds, well, more than fair. I thought Russell controlled the whole fight. It's interesting that Showtime posted a picture of him playing chess right before the fight. Because this was high speed chess, and, and Gary Russell, you know, it, it even makes me even more angrier that he only fights once a year. Because this guy is one of the best talents in boxing, and he needs to go out there and show that more often. Because people were claiming this guy was going to beat him. Oh, the the rain is over. Oh, but Gary mm-hmm. Russell mm-hmm. made it look easy. Yeah, and and the thing was like especially in the first four rounds, he definitely controlled uh, what Neon Bayer could do because he he showed you know his speed and his experience because he was able to control the positioning in this particular bout and didn't let um, Neon Bayer's strength end up being a weakness for Russell. Uh, so, you know, he was able to, you know, get out of the way of the right hand one and then, you know, control the distance with his foot positioning. Even when he was like fighting off of his back foot a lot, he could back up to the ropes, but he would make you pay, you know, by opening either getting first with the jab and then moving out of the ropes. Or if he's backing up into a corner, throw a four punch combination and then get out of the pocket, you know, so that. That was, you know, part one of the particular fight. And then part two was, like, starting around the sixth or seventh round, he started to come forward to the umpire and threw, like, three punches right off the right yep. bat. One, two, three. You know? And, you know, while the umpire was able to answer back a little bit, there was nothing that really put Gary Russell in trouble uh, when he did that. So he was able to control it on both fronts. Uh, so, you know, like I said, it was high-speed chess, and, you know, they were talking about it being like that uh, over the course of the particular fight. So that, you know, made it to be a very good uh, fight right there. So um, got another caller in here that could share his thoughts. It's 205. Um, I think this is the vice president of the Deontay Wilder fan club that's on here. Uh, 205, what's going on? Bomb Squad, baby. Bomb Squad. What's going on, James? This is uh, Mike Grady. What's up, Matt? 
Yo, what's good, y'all man? Doing? Man, too much. Just uh, hear y'all talking about the fight. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think he controlled at least most of the fight that I saw. He controlled a lot of it. Um, <clears throat> I will say I wasn't as in tune to like look at the nuances because after a few rounds, it just kind of. I wasn't as uh, engaged because it just looked kind of straightforward, and then I think I was sleepy too. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that I was sleepy. And then the first couple rounds, it looked a bit more like uh, Russell was kind of just controlling most of everything. But, um, yeah, I think it would be great to see him bite other people. And I don't have much to say other than that. Well, uh, we might know why you may have been a little bit sleepy uh, going into this particular nah, match. Nah, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> JR, don't do that. JR, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, right? I know, I know. Look, hey, he's he, he, I, I go for the guy too, but, yo, come on, come on, man. Yo, like, everybody ain't a fan of that. So, but, yo, going back into this thing. <laughs> the 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 co-feature bout, um, but yeah, getting back to the thing with uh, Neon Bayer and uh, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Um, it would seem like they tried to build up Neon Bayer like this, you know, guy that could, you know, have this type of amateur pedigree and that he knocks knocks guys out and. He's gonna be the you know the next uh, prodigy over at the featherweight division or one of those amateur guys because you know we had the thing with, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with um, the thing with uh, Daniel Roman who ended up losing uh, his fight to Akhmadaliev uh, and they were building up Akhmadaliev to be you know the guy at that weight class and. I guess they were trying to boost Neon Bayer in this particular case, but you know, when I was uh you know, there on Thursday I was like, Yeah, I didn't really see that much, you know, uh that could make me be convinced that Neon Bayer would be the guy uh to dethrone Gary Russell Junior, uh, right there. So that's one thing and then you know, on the flip side, um you know, Gary Russell brought up again that uh, he wants to move up to 135 pounds. You know, since Kevin Farmer ended up losing to JoJo Diaz, um, he's uh, Russell is like, I don't see any interest to, you know, be there at 130 pounds, even though there is a few fights that could be made at 130. But I'm well. Let me take that back. I wouldn't say could be made, but it would be good matchups at 130 pounds. But I don't think they would be able to be made, including against one other fighter that has been a guest of the Boxing Source radio show. So um, so he says he's going straight up to 135 pounds, lightweight division. Um, what do you all think about his uh, perspective or perspectives at lightweight? Um, you know, against the likes of a Tank Davis or a Devin Haney or anybody like that at lightweight. He's too small. 
Uh, you're five four, man. Hey, you're five four. <laughs> Yo, he'd be a lightweight at five four. So. Yeah. Yeah, that might be a you know, a little bit of a you know, thing there, you know. When you got, you know, guys like Lopez at, you know, five eight that that'd be a you know, real you know, it'd be a real challenge for uh Gary Russell. You know, most of these guys are like five seven, five eight in the lightweight division. So I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, but not only that, Russell only rehydrated, um, I think, like, I want to say, like, three or four pounds, you know? It's like Russell is naturally a small dude. Honestly, I think if he pushed himself, he could make 122. He's naturally a small dude. So if I'm him, I I, I just stay where I'm at and just, just do the Tevin Farmer thing. Just fight um, the... The British uh, Tomato Canada of the week, you know, just fight everybody, man. Just fight everybody you can fight. Yeah, just keep fighting those guys. Yeah, yeah, until they come up, I guess, you know. Um, yeah, because he he's too small for 135, man. Those guys are taller and they're a lot bigger. I think that'll be a recipe for for disaster with him. Mhm. I mean, you have, and and the thing is, um, you know, maybe he could uh, hit up a uh, kid Galahad, and you know, maybe give him a title shot. Uh, you know, kid Galahad, who you know did uh, score a win uh, yesterday as well. So, you know, we we kind of, um, yeah, he he scored that win against Claudio Marrero. So uh, that was the uh, fight that. Um, kind of like made Galahad be uh, higher up in the ranks in the featherweight division. Uh, so he could be, you know, positioned there for a, uh, another world title shot. So, you know, why, why not? Why would you try to fight uh, Warrington? Who, who? Russell. Warrington don't want that fight. And the thing oh, is, it's like oh, we had the whole thing. I know, I know, we had the whole thing with Warrington and Stevenson, and Stevenson saying, "Oh, let me fight on, you know, the 14th." Um, oh man, you know what? I, I I just thought about something with that too. You know, let me fight on March 14th, and the whole thing with the Josh Warrington got shot down because, you know, they were trying to make that fight uh, over for the UK in May, and with uh, Stevenson making that decision to fight on March 14th, that pretty much shot down, you know, the unification between Stevenson and Warrington because that um, that venue that they were trying to have for May won't be available, you know, over the summer. So that yeah, kind of like shot down May that fight particular fight. Russell, May, May for Russell is not that um, short of a turnaround. I think he can do yeah, it. For Russell, Especially yeah. Russell, he stays in the gym a lot. Yeah, Russell. Yeah, Russell could do it. Yeah, I know Russell could do it. Yeah, but so why not? But why not at least inquire about it? You got Al and Bob uh, working together. You know the fight is gonna probably be on um, either Showtime or ESPN Plus um, in the U.S. We know it's gonna be on BT in the U.K. And like, I don't see why he doesn't push for this fight. 
Yeah, I think he should after, you know, this, you know, the, the you know, news now of the whole thing with Warrington and Stevenson, you know, being shot down. So it's like Warrington has to, you know, look for somebody now. So why not say, hey, I want, I still want a unification. Let me go ahead and fight Gary Russell. Yeah. So I think that could be, you know, a uh, definite uh, possibility right there. So that, yeah, that could be uh, something up in the air. Um, actually, I might just you know bring that up in, in on on the Twitter page and say like you know since yeah since you know Stevenson uh, kind of like declined the Warrington fight why not you know have Josh Warrington go ahead and fight Mr. Gary Russell Jr. So I think that would be a you know definite good fight uh, between those two guys uh, right there. So there is that. Now uh, I do want to get into the co-feature about. For that vacant WBA Bantamweight Championship, uh, you had Laborio Solis against Guillermo Rigondeau. Um, you know, you have, of course, Rigondeau uh, fighting there at Bantamweight. He was the unified uh, super Bantamweight champion up until the point where he went up two divisions to fight Vasyl Lomachenko. And ended up getting stopped by Vasyl Uh And then Bob Arum uh, just put him over on the bench and said, you ain't going to be fighting no more. Uh, and then he was out for pretty much almost two years. Then he got signed uh, through, uh, you know, uh, Heyman and whatnot. So he's had a couple of fights through Heyman. Uh, he had his last fight against Julio Ceja which was a very good action fight uh, between those two. And you had uh, Rigondeau end up getting that TKO victory uh, there. And then uh, Laborio Solis, uh, on the flip side, uh, had been, you know, competing for the Bantamweight Championship, uh, but was unsuccessful. He had been uh, super flyweight champion, uh, unified super flyweight champion, but, hadn't become a Bantamweight champion. So he, this was the second attempt at that. And beginning of the fight, you know, Solis tried to swarm uh, Guillermo Rigondeau and uh, looked like he was uh, pretty successful in that particular first round. But then after that, uh, he, you know, kind of got um, shut down, to say the least. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, it looked like you know, there were a lot of lulls in the action uh, out there for this particular bout. Um, you know, nothing really much done uh, up until the seventh round where Rigondeaux caught Solis with a uh, big left hand that, you know, took Solis all the way back and had him fall back to the ropes. And that counted as a uh, knockdown. Uh, but, you know, other than that, he pretty much had Guillermo Rigondeau uh, taking over the taking over the bout in 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 my in my uh, in my view, uh, but the scorecards read um, one fifteen one twelve for Rigondeau, one fifteen one twelve for Solis, and one sixteen one eleven for Guillermo Rigondeau to get a split decision victory uh, here in this particular bout. Um, I mean. 
You saw what the the folks in Allentown thought of that particular fight. Um, <laughs> before I go into a couple of details in the fight, I want I want the thoughts of uh, Matt first. Yo, we go to goat man. He yeah, yo, you gotta understand something about what he did yesterday, right? First round didn't go too well. So what he did was he switched up game plan right away. He lulled uh, Solis and the crowd to sleep, waited for Solis to get antsy and try to go in, and then he disciplined them. I think the reason why the fight was so, quote-unquote, boring to people was because Rigo made it look too easy, man. He started styling on him. You know, it, it, it is what it is, man. I want to see Rigo versus anyway. That's it. I mean, I do too. Um thing with Rigo, what he was able to do was just use his feet in positioning to <laughs> just make Solis look like, you know, look yeah, I man. Come on, man. And, 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 and the thing with this, man, it was like, it was crazy as far as like punch stats were concerned. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to uh, put it like this. Um, Laborio Solis didn't land a jab in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of the 12 rounds and landed one jab in each of the other four rounds. That's how crazy it was. So for the for the entire fight, Solis landed Four jabs that he threw. Just four. That's crazy. And, you know, on the flip side, like, Rigandau didn't really, you know, throw that many jabs himself. So he only, you know, landed a few jabs here and there over the course of the fight. Um, And so Lee's, like, missed every single punch that he threw in the eighth round. That's how good it was. Styling on it. That's how that's that's how crazy that was, and you know, uh, you know, a potential fight between you know him and and Nayoya in a way. And that's another you know PBC top rank uh, bout thing that you know could uh, basically happen uh, there. I mean, you have in a way as a super champion, Rigandau is the regular champ, so you know, why not make that thing? Uh, happen, exactly. especially Get if um, you know. But you know, they, I think they're trying to. Did they uh, solidify the thing with Inouye and Casimiro? So they're trying to see if they could, you know, work that unification bout. But you know, in the meantime, you know, no, yeah, make that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's going to be April twenty fifth. Uh, yeah. at Mandalay Bay. Oh, that's yeah. Hmm. April twenty fifth, Mandalay Bay. Hmm. Yeah, that might be that might be one to try to you know get to uh, there. So yeah, so yeah, the winner of that against uh, Guillermo Rigandau, that that could be uh, something there. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts about the fight? Um. So when people say like the fight was boring um hell 
I would argue that if you say that fight was boring, then the the, uh, the Gary Russell fight could have been called boring too. I'm not trying to like point you know fingers here, but I'm just saying like people's subjectivity is um is real funny because you know with the way that uh Rigandow was done in terms of changing people's minds and and shaping people's minds in terms of being like, oh, he's boring, and now if he has anything less than you know all out war, then people try to play him as if like he just Stinking it up and stuff like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But I mean, <laughs> Matt was right in terms of him definitely coming out, and and you you could see the first round he was gonna play into the dumb crowd, like what what people want him to do, and then once he got kind of like poppy, he was like, yeah, let me um let me be a little bit more conservative. So. You know, he changed that style up and, and he started fighting, you know, started using his feet a lot more. Versus the last maybe four or so fights, he stopped using his feet altogether just to, um, you know, appease, just to appease people. He he, he stopped using his feet and, and just stayed stationary in front of these guys. But he got hurt and, you know, he, you could see at the end of the fight where he was like, good job, you got me, you know what I'm saying? And he was like, you know, in his mind, I'm sure he was thinking to himself, like, yeah, forget what these people thinking. Let me win this fight, because otherwise, you know, you could tell um, Solis had a nice motor. And you know how somebody, like, I don't know a lot about Solis, but I know when y'all were to school, y'all saw a lot of people in school who, who, who had like a lot of advantage. And the people who had a lot of advantage at times when compared to people who didn't have advantage may not have appreciated the opportunity as much. So I'm saying that to relate to that, um, you know, at least for me, when I went to school, it wasn't an option for me to, like, fail. So even though something wasn't, you know, natural to me and it was hard, failing was not an option, just just me coming from where I came from. So – I could see that in Solis in that for him, failing was not an option. So at least in terms of what he can control, he was going to try everything he could to uh, to win the fight. And I'm not relating anything to say anything about Rigandau, but I'm just saying you could tell when somebody comes from poverty and they failing will not be an option, at least in terms of what they can control. So fighting a guy like that who will go out on his shield and die for, for – in, in order to not fail, you know, Rickendall was like, yeah, this ain't the guy I can I can play firefight with. And so he backed off, used his feet a little bit more, which which I guess translates mm-hmm. to being boring, and then, you know, used his feet to where Solis couldn't land shots, which was the smartest thing he could do because being still with Solis, Solis going to throw 100 punches around, obviously. And then round seven, round eight, kind of uh, caught Solis coming in, because, you know, Rigandau does very well with that arm fighting and kind of, you know, patterning the person to make them Controlling, respond how he yeah. wants them to respond. Controlling them, you know, like that lead arm, whatever. And so once he was doing that, Solis was so concerned with that front arm and then got in a pattern of, of doing his same front arm too, which is the same thing that Deontay Wilder does, the same thing that Lomachenko does. Like, like if you want to 
slow down someone's action like that, you use your hands to spar with them, and then that make them think so much about what they're going to do, you know, with that, that, that they're not implementing their game plan or whatever. So, you know, fight goes on, you hear booing and stuff, and, yeah, I mean, that 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 is that is what is what it is. Like people don't know what the fuck they're looking at. Like I I do think that um Polly Malinaji is right on that. That half of these motherfuckers like I I I don't really like using this shit because you know I, I'm not trying to be this boxing elitist snob. But half motherfuckers don't know shit right. about boxing. Like that's like, I hate when I go about to boxing. <laughs> yeah, and I try not to say that shit because you know I ain't trying to be like that that person who like think he's better than people just because I have a little bit more knowledge than the regular person, but I, I don't like talking boxing with people, and then they just be saying shit, and then you ask them why they feel that way, then they don't have nothing to back it up, which is why half the time when I, like, debate with people, even if my, my, my appeals or my thoughts are uncommon, I feel like most people respect what I'm saying because I have things that at least in my mind corroborate why I feel what I feel, whether they agree with it or not, I, I still have tangible stuff that I, that make me feel the way I feel. And some people just be like, oh, I feel this way just because my heart tells me. And then that's when you could possibly say you don't know shit about boxing. But, yeah, I got into this long spiel. I'm going to let somebody else talk. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm I, I trying to understand what you're talking about because the thing with, uh, you know, boxing is that it's, very versatile. You have, you know, one side of, you know, the firefights and the guys that are very offensive minded that, you know, throw a lot of punches and things like that. And then you have the other side where uh, you have the masters of defense, those that are able to dodge and block and parry a punch. Uh, those are able to, you know, get out of the way when someone, you know, throws a punch. Um, so, you know, the thing with um, Guillermo Rigandau is that he makes people miss completely and and that's you know part of the enjoyment of watching the sport of boxing like i say the point of boxing is to hit and not get hit (laughs) and guillermo rigandau does not get hit so what is it that you know these these fans of the sport or what they claim to be what is their problem with Seeing somebody that is not getting hit—that's you know—you you're supposed to win the fight, <laughs> you know. And if you win the fight by making a miss, then that's what you do in order to win the fight. Um, got eight one three on the line with us. What's going on? You're on the Boxing Source Radio Show. Hey, what's up, guys? This is uh, Terrell calling from Tampa. And actually, I just want to jump in on on, on what Mike was t- uh, talking about in regards to having conversations with people. To have, uh, well, I'm trying to look search for the word here. Uh, just a little to no knowledge in, in in terms of boxing. And when you say boxing, you think about your training camp, diet. I'm I'm, I'm thinking about everything because I know you guys think about all this stuff when we talk about our fights. It's not just about making a match and just jumping into the ring and getting into a fight. Uh, to my point, there's so many different angles on boxing that you can dissect. But to your your classic boxer. Like like we're talking about here with Rigandal to your your punchers things like that, which our uh, boxing history is littered with, and oftentimes we get uh, mm-hmm. your classic boxer versus puncher matchups. Uh, sometimes they go easy. I mean it, that can go either way depending on how good a guy is on their on their craft. 
because even with Ringendahl last night, at one point, one round he only do twenty punches, twenty punches, which is which is crazy when you think of that, especially in terms of a, of a, uh, what is this, bantamweight, whatever he's at, you know, uh, yeah. just, just your, your low weight classes. But tipping your low weight classes, these guys are throwing like uh, probably on an average of seventy five to one hundred punches punches around, and for someone to throw twenty punches, you think. Oh, it must have been heavyweight. No, it was uh, one of the guys in the lightweight class. It was crazy, but you know what? Uh, like him or love him, you have to respect his craft. He's been a he's been a master at perfecting his style. Uh, as 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 last night, like the guy doesn't get hit, and that's just his game. He just moves around. He's ultra ultra speedy, ultra fast, and it's, and that it just pops that that jab Yeah, and I mean, and that's the thing here that we we see with uh, Guillermo Rigondeaux is a lot of his fights are pretty much this way where he, you know, um, kind of like conserves his energy, you know, over the course of the particular fight. And you know, it was brought up at one point. I mean, he is you know up there as a you know guy in this bantamweight division at 39 years old. Um, and he's, you know, competing here in the lightweight division where you said a lot of the guys there at lightweight are very active with their hands. So for him to, you know, just throw, you know, 20 punches in one particular round, it's crazy, um, at lightweight, uh, but he was able to do that and, uh, you know, still be able to you know, get this uh, win over the Borio Solis. So uh, that's what you kind of like get there uh, from Guillermo Rigondeaux. And, you know, like uh, Matt mentioned, we want to see if what he could do against a guy like, you know, um, Nairo Inouye, who, you know, did have his action fight against, you know, Nolito Donaire. And that was a, you know, very good fight between those two guys. And, Donito Donaire was able to be a little bit successful against in a way in that particular bout, but did not come out with a victory. But, uh, you know, later on down the line, we have to see where in a way is at this particular point of his career against a defensive wizard like Guillermo Rigondeaux. Uh, let me see if um, I can add in another caller in here from the 267. Uh, 267, you're live on the Boxing Source radio show. What's good? What's good, Jr. What's going on, my man? What's what's happening? Nothing much, man. Word around town is you soft, man. You ain't want to go up the house. Oh, uh, <laughs> come on, man. Don't, oh, here we go, dog. Like, look, man, I ain't going to call no Uber. I ain't going to be walking over from no Virginia over to Island Town. Come on, man. I ain't doing that, man. Nah. <laughs> oh, Yo, I right. So... I've been um, having conversations with my friends all day. We've been analyzing Inouye versus um, Rigondeaux, right? So all, right off the bat, people think it's just going to be a whitewash, that Inouye is just going to you know, demolish him, right? But that's the same thing they thought about Donaire. Now, mind you, there was a big sound. Yeah. There, but just, just hear me out. A lot of people forget that Inouye, uh, uh, he's coming off of a broken orbital ball. And we know 
that once your order bone gets broke, it, you're predisposed to your face getting fractured again. Uh, a la, um, uh, Kel what's name? Kel Brook. Right. Um, and Rigo got he he got some some thunder in that left hand, and he's a great counter puncher. And the we kind of gets you know a little happy with his hands. Rigo, great timing. I think the first couple of rounds he can he can make it really really interesting. And you know if it gets to that slow dull fight, Rigo can beat him if Inouye's afraid to to um to pull the trigger. So uh, enough counters in that damaged cheek could you know could could take uh, Inouye out of his game plan. What do you think? And Reagan Dow yeah. breaks jaws and, and faces anyway, so that that is, this uh, is something. This man throw throw like the first punch he threw in that fight. I was like, shit, he he throws hard. You know, I wonder how many times has this guy broken his hand because the first two or three punches that he actually threw after uh, Solis kind of let some steam off, it just was it was so hard. You could see the velocity behind them shots. So you got a lot of credence in what you're saying, brother. Well, I mean, you do have um, Guillermo Rigondeau that has had, you know, most of his career in the super bantamweight division. So he pretty much competed there. Um, and now he's going down to bantamweight. So he's kind of like having that type of force now at the bantamweight division. So, yeah, if he's able to catch uh, in a way with a good number of counters, that could, you know, make in a way have second thoughts of trying to, you know, go all in against, you know, the defensive uh, mastery, so to speak, of Guillermo Riggin now. So I, I, I see where Matt is getting at with this uh, in a way Riggin now type of matchup to see, like, where in a way would be at at this particular point against a guy like Riggin now who could make you pay and make you pay dearly. If you slip up, um, and can and that, can that, can that pace hold up? Can it hold up for twelve rounds, or will he have to yeah, make a business decision? Can what hold out for twelve rounds? Can his can his face that broken orbital bone? Can his face hold up for twelve rounds, or will he have to make and, a business decision? And he's decision? going up against like this, you know this southpaw who 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 is a master at positioning too. So it's like. How will he be able to adjust to, you know, somebody like that, you know? It's a, even, that's even, a whole even, different type of fight. I, I got a question for y'all, right? Y'all can answer this sure. separately. If this was five years ago, would we be giving Inouye a chance? Zero chance. <laughs> Zero my point exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that that's why, like, you know, a possibility of this fight happening right now is like, I don't know if anybody wants to go ahead and do that. That's why, you know, they're having this whole thing with uh, him against Casimiro uh, that's, uh, you know, happening on April 25th. And, and, and the second thing is, you you're not gonna have this fight happen. Hey, I, I just thought about it, Matt. Like, Matt, are you serious? That fight can't happen. 
Now, in a way, it's signed with top because in a way, it's signed with top rank. You think Bob Aaron wants to have Guillermo Rigadell in a fight with one of his guys ever again? No, man. <laughs> it's called it's called real revenge. You know, man, after anyway, <laughs> after anyway, uh, well, after Donaire beats uh, got the hell beat out of him by Rigadell. You know they 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 got Lomachenko to to beat Rigondeaux, but man, you drinking that crown, knows man. The Bobby weight difference was too much. <laughs> everyone knows the weight difference was too much. Now you got the legit monster. He could finally get rid of Rigondeaux once and for all. I think uh, Bob Arrigo would uh, let him make that fight because he thinks Rigo would get beat. And I think we were going to style all over this kid, man. I'm telling you. Did you, you, that footwork, you think, did you see those you think Bob's going to let Rigo fuck the that was not a good fighter. He's too boring <laughs> in the ring. We just can't have him go up against Kyle. Yeah, in the way. Come on. Yo, Rigo's going to style on this kid, man. I'm telling you. Rigo's an Al Heyman fighter right now, right? So he's going to let Rigo fuck the money up twice. And take and, and take that back to Al Haven and PDC? No, you crazy. He's not making that fight. Yo, you're better off having Rigandau against Luis Neri, man. Like, yo, that's that's pretty much. Oh, I mean, hey, what else can we do? <laughs> I mean, what else can he do, man? Like. There's nothing left unless if they're gonna have uh, Zolane Tete out there <laughs> for rigging out, and that's not gonna be a good fight at all. What about or or he could feed Josh Greer to him? He could feed, yeah, he could feed Joshua Greer Jr. to him. Man, because I know we, we ain't gonna have. Uh, look, it's either that or we could have the classic rematch between Guillermo Rigginow and Joseph Agbeko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yo, right. I, I tell you this, the only way that NOE fights Rigo, the only chance is if it's on um, a Wilder versus Fury undercard. That's it. Well, I mean, we could have Wilder versus Fury 3, and, and then we could, you know, possibly have that. Um, you know, since, you know, Terrell and uh, Jamil uh, got on here a little bit later, um, just wanted to quick, quickly revisit the main event there. Gary Russell Jr. Uh, retaining his WBC featherweight championship with the unanimous decision win over Tukstad and Bayar. Um Yo, uh, start off with uh, Terrell. What, what did you think about Gary Russell getting that win? Yeah, I thought it was an uh, impressive performance, and, and the reason why I say that, he was solid all the way around, displaying that southpaw style. Uh, he held his ground, and there's so many times when it actually Russell was actually up against the ropes uh, willingly. Uh, and, and still, despite that, 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 that style, held his ground, popping with the jab, I mean, it was the, the, the speed was evident from the jab, uh, just in different exchanges. Uh, King Touch did have some some, some uh, pockets of success throughout the fight, but it was, it was just, I mean, it was just evident that uh, he was just fast in terms of speed and, and the style of the set. So the speed and that style really just won the fight with Gary Russell. 
I mean, me personally, I really, really would have wanted him to stop him. Uh, of course, that didn't happen. And, of course, that didn't really present itself uh, in the fight. And the reason why I want him to stop him because in Gary Russell's uh, desire to move up to 135, things like that, yeah, for me, it would have been very impressive for him to stop this guy uh, and making a statement before he goes up to 135. Uh, but just, uh, despite that, it was a solid performance by Gary Russell Jr. And my main thing, I want him to fight again this year. He's talking to talk. He's, he's blazing fire, things like that. Uh, he's, he's rushing skirts or whatever. He's, he's trying to make it happen. So I want to see him fight again, whether it be uh, at 135 uh, on some, some mid-level contender. I mean, but at this point, he's missing everyone, Teofilman Lopez, who's, who's trying to get uh, a fight signed with uh, Lomachenko. So that's not going to happen. Uh, we don't know when Devin Hayden's coming back, so that's a possibility. He wants to target Leo Santa Cruz. That might not happen because he wants to get into a, a pay-per-view fight with, with Tank. So that might not happen. So at this point, it's just a matter of who's going to fight. So could that be Devin Haney? And, and of course, win. But other than that, it was a solid performance with the speed and softball style being a difference in the fight. Yeah, that speed uh, ended up being the uh, main difference for Gary Russell Jr. Uh, in his win over Tucson Yambayar. And, uh, you know, we do have those uh, possible fights at 135 pounds if he does move up to divisions. But uh, we did have a uh, suggestion uh, if he does stay at 126 pounds uh, that, you know, I'll get into uh, once again a little bit later. But, uh, Jamil, what were your thoughts on the fight? Um, I feel like the judges had it a little bit too wide. It's a closer fight than that. But, um. Gary, Gary impressed me like he always does. He's one of my favorite fighters. Um, I would like to see him sit down on his punches more and go to the body more often, but it's probably because King Tug is a good body puncher that he didn't do that. But yeah, um, good combination punching, controlled distance, um, great speed. Like Gary's Gary, man. Gary is an elite fighter that can get fights basically. As far as him. Uh, moving up to 135, nah, man, nah, I ain't with that, yo. There's some, there's some killers at 135. These, these kids, they're not really 135 pounders. They're 140s and 147s, melting themselves down to get to 135, yo. And that, that's not a good place for Gary. And I feel bad because he's looking for big fights and he can't get anybody in the ring. 126 to 130, so now he has to be at a complete disadvantage. To, uh, you ever see Teofimo Lopez, show? Yeah, I mean, I know that like Teofimo is pretty a, much around like 145, 147 walking around, so. Bro, he, he's, not, he's not no lightweight, though. You, Devin Haney, yeah. that's not a lightweight. Ryan Garcia, that's not yeah, a lightweight. Devin Haney, definitely is like lightweight. Devin Haney, he, he looks like 147 pounds, bro. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've said that too. I've said that. I'm like, man, that guy's 147, man. Yeah. So, and the thing is, like I mentioned earlier, Gary Russell Jr. is five four. So him going up to 135 against guys that are like five seven, five eight. Yeah, that's a, that's a problem right there. So, I uh, put in the suggestion that maybe he should stay at 126 and fight 
Josh Warrington since Josh Warrington can't fight Shakur Stevenson in May. So why, why not why can't take he, that fight? Why can't, well, he, why fight, can't, um, why can't he fight Shakur in, in May? Because well, Shakur's scared. Say it, JR. <laughs> your boy is scared, man. <laughs> Come on, I don't think I like your Come on, Matt. I ain't going to give him that jersey hate because he's partially from Alexandria, Virginia. So I'm not going to quite do that one. And then two, come on, man. I'm trying to get into the fight, man. I don't want to have that whole weekend <laughs> over in New York City, bro. Come on, man. You know, you know, you know what we, you know what I want to do over there, man. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get mashed up. <laughs> Cover the fight. <laughs> hey, Jerry, can I point something? Can I point them out real fast? All right. Right. I, I want. I want to point out the hypocrisy of the boxing fan. Right. So you got these anti-PBC guys that's running around campaigning for Terrence Crawford. Now Terrence Crawford is one of my favorite fighters. Right. And they, oh, you, you hear them screaming about unifications, and this dude's scared. Or when it comes to Demetrius Andrade and Charlo. But you don't never see these guys putting pressure on uh, Warrington or Shakur to unify with Gary Russell. You don't never hear anybody putting pressure on Better D to unify with Bivol. Like they they act like those guys don't exist. And the only time unifications well, matter is when it's an Al Heyman fighter that um, or it's Al Heyman that's. Uh, Doing his little tournament. You feel well, me? When Al Heyman fighter is out in the woods alone. It's it's cool that that he's not getting fights. It pleases well, one well one thing. I, I I hope you don't want Demetri Baval to have his career ended because it better be a faces Baval. That's I'm sorry. We, we that, that's that's we need, bro. We need yeah. to see that fight. Yeah, we need to see that fight, but uh, but, something but tells me that Dimitri Baval is going to have a pretty lucrative opportunity in the next few months. That's just me. Uh, you think we yeah, with these? Huh? You think he's going to get Kovalev? Oh no! Oh no! 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 He's not going to get Kovalev. <laughs> You think Canelo? That's it, lucrative. Yep. Whoa, I mean, you think Canelo? Really? Yep. I think so. I think so. If, if there's going to be a – like, right now, here we are about three months away from when, you know, Canelo's supposed to fight, and nothing, you know, has uh, been announced quite yet. And, you know, we would have had something if it was a Billy Joe Saunders. We would have had something if it was a Callum Smith. And we haven't had anything from, you know, those guys. And who else would, you know, possibly be out there um, for Canelo to fight where it's like, okay, it would be like a legacy fight. So, So here's the thing. It's like, okay. Canelo already has a WBO light heavyweight championship, so what if he ends up trying to unify at light heavyweight? So why not go after Dimitri Baval? No, he, you he can't don't go have after a, uh, the WBO no more. Oh, he, oh, yeah, he dropped that. He he dropped he that. Didn't he? 
He vacated it. I was like, that little bastard, he could have unified if he didn't vacate it. But that would have been something if they said T-Mobile Arena, Canelo Alvarez against Dimitri Baval, and that would be just food for Canelo Alvarez. He would be able to beat up on Dimitri Baval. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been crazy. He's not coming back down to 160. I think Charlo yeah, would yeah. 168 just like Canelo. He I mean, would. He, he would, but it, it would have to be at 168. And let's be honest, man. Them dudes, they're, they're making offers to uh, to dudes' uh, Gmail when everybody knows you got to call Al. Come on, man. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to send, uh, send a contract to your Facebook Messenger. Oh, why you mix up my offer? Come on, Eddie. <laughs> Come on, Eddie. Well, I mean, there there has been offers that have been made on Instagram by other parties before. So uh, yeah, Andy yeah. Ruiz made the Joshua fight on Instagram. Hey, which what? Which fight? Andy Ruiz made the Joshua fight on Instagram. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. He. He contacted, Eddie to get the he fight. contacted, yeah, he contacted Eddie and said he would like to fight. But a phone call had to get made to who in order for that fight to get made? No, no, you mean they sent the contract to him? He didn't nego- He don't. They don't negotiate their terms, bro. You know that. They don't have. Come on, man. Andrew Ruiz ain't got no power to to ask for this, to ask for that. Come on, man. Come on, Matt. You know better than that, Matt. <laughs> yep. Andy Ruiz is about to negotiate his way to fighting Chris Ariola. Uh, but on, that's neither here or there. Uh, now, looking ahead to uh, next weekend, uh, we have the thing with um, Caleb playing going up against Vic, Vincent Figenbus, but we're going to put that over to the side for a little bit. Um, uh, fighter if you ever bring that fight up favorite, in my presence, I'll hang up. But on February 14th, you're going to have Ryan Garcia going up against Francisco Fonseca at the Honda Center in Anaheim. Um, Ryan Garcia is, uh, you know, one of the contenders there in the lightweight division. Um, he is potentially out there as a world title contender at lightweight, uh, particularly if he does uh, win this particular fight. He could. It would be an outside chance depending on what happens with Devin Haney, but he could fight the winner of Javier Fortuna against Luke Campbell uh, for that WBC lightweight championship. Uh, but, you know, now he's, you know, preparing himself to face uh, Francisco Fonseca, who, you know, is kind of the guy that got, you know, beat up by Kawante Tank Davis, uh, you know, ended up losing to uh, Tevin Farmer. Um, and then, you know, had a couple of fights over, 
in uh, Nicaragua and other places uh, before getting this fight here with Ryan Garcia. So uh, I want to hear from Matt since he uh, loves Ryan Garcia, uh, what he thinks about this bout coming up here on February 14th. I got to be honest with you. I don't give a fuck about this fight, man. Yo. (laughs) (laughs) Yo. This is, I don't know what they're doing with King Ryan. I'm glad that he's fighting on Valentine's Day, but I got to be honest, they are. I went I went to go counter Dot, and um, oh. there's a lot of Dot, they are. There's a lot of Dot for this fight, man. I don't think a lot of people are going to show up to this one, but I think everybody's going to be out getting some or trying to get some. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yeah, man, man, I don't know where my girl will let me take it to no fight on no Valentine's Come on, man. Ain't nobody going to be at that fight. <laughs> nobody going to be there. And the car on a Friday too. night, too. Oh, fuck. Oh, man. That ain't, that ain't oh, looking wow. good, man. What, what, yo, yo what, what is up with what is up with Oscar De La Hoya and these fights over in all these other all these places in California, man? Like he he's trying to use every single venue in the state of California <laughs> to have fights. Like, come on, man. Yo, he didn't even put nobody decent on the card either. You got Brian oh, Cobb versus someone named Samuel Dequay, and then you got. Alejandro Reyes, a prospect against someone uh-huh. named Nelson Cologne. You sure this isn't going to be on Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <Sean. laughs> Yo, this is one of the worst cards of the year. What is he doing? What is he doing, man? Update. Matt, Matt and Frank is promoting the show. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the worst cards of the year, man. Like, oh my hey, god! Like, it's not, man. it's not, it's not worse than Caleb Plant. Yo, what is Caleb Plant going to fight? Caleb Plant is one of my favorite fights. What is he going to fight somebody? Yo, when? Yo, it's not his fault. It's a mandatory. Bro, when is Caleb Plant going to fight a live body? Like, he's going to fight. Benavidez is later this year, man. Guaranteed. You fight, fight dudes from The Walking Dead. And so no. Disrespect, blame the I, you got to blame the IBF. God damn, bro. Blame the IBF. He's fighting guys. And we, and we all follow boxing heavy. He's fighting dudes I've never heard of, yo. Yo. He's Mike Lee, IBF mandatory. <laughs> he's fighting he's fighting what's that guy's name? Bro. Um... Vincent Finger in the butt. Vegan what is butt. Oh. Vegan butts. Well, Ooh. hey, oh. isn't um yeah? At least Caleb Truex is part of this card, so <laughs> exactly. They got you have former champions. There. Yeah, you have former champions on this card. You have you know Caleb Truex on the card. You have Rashay Warren on the card. So like, they not doing nothing with that Brian Garcia card, man. Nothing. Like, you know, come on, man. Yo, hey, uh, hey, uh, Mike, Mike, you, you, you still think about going to that fight, fight card in Tennessee? Um, I would, but I probably ain't gonna go no more because I'm uh, traveling 
to uh to Rome the next weekend. So Oh man. You gotta you gotta get the passport stamps. You just gonna stun on this my podcast, Mike? Just gonna stun on this. Say it again. You just gonna stun on this in the podcast? Oh yeah, I'm gonna no, be in Rome. He asked me. He asked me. I wasn't gonna say it. I wasn't gonna mention it. Yeah, I'm gonna be in Rome. You know, it's nothing, man. I'm, I, that's where I'm gonna be. That's what you're gonna find. Yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, you know, I'm gonna just go over a quick trip over to Rome. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna just yeah, chill out man. over there. <laughs> no, man, no, man. Man, Rome just gonna shop me. <laughs> now I'm trying to get my weight up. I'm trying to get my what Matt said. What Matt said. <laughs> what Matt said. He, he said you're going to Rome, New York. Come on, man. <laughs> already, already. Oh, already oh boy. But now I'm trying yeah, to get yeah. my uh, international weight up. That's what that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, man. Yeah, you gotta fill fill them fill them that that the pages on that passport book, man. I feel you, I feel you, bro. Hey, so um, yeah, I'll look I'll look ahead to that uh thing there on the on the fifteenth. They're with uh playing vegan butts, and they're gonna have a couple of other uh, fights that are gonna be shown on Fox. So, um, wait a minute. Don't tell me Brian Perella is against Abel Ramos is a cool feature to that. Oh, boy. All right. Um, now we have to – I know we had a little bit of a preview of this segment earlier, a little bit earlier, uh, but we, we have to get back into this. It is something that we are bringing back to the Boston Source radio show. Uh, we have to do this as it is less than two weeks until the fight at MGM Grand Garden Arena for the WBC and Ring Magazine Heavyweight Championship of the World, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. And so we need an update from Mr. Matt Brown, and we are now going into the dot counting report with Matthew Brown. Take it away, man. I'm here live from the Gloom Tomb in New York City, Bronx, New York. This is Matt Brown, the official dot kind of correspondent of the Boston Source radio show and podcast. We have counted the dots for Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. And I got to tell you, JR, it's a lot of fuckery going on with these tickets, JR. I don't know what the hell's going on. Somehow we got more dots than the last time I counted. So. Right now, we officially have 1,312 tickets left, JR. And unfortunately for Deontay Wilder fans like myself who want this fight to do well, there are now floor seats available. Floor G and floor C are now open. You thought that the floor seats were sold out. Uh oh. Uh oh. Live dot counter report in the history of the Boxing Horse Radio Show because this is killing me. This is killing me, man. Oh, hey, wait, wait. Dog, hey, come on, man. Dog. We can't have this, man. Come on, man. You, you gotta. Come on. 
you you gotta you gotta be able to you gotta be able to hold yourself together, man. We 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 can't have a sad moment. We can't have a sad moment up in here, man. It, it, yo, we, we we just can't. It just can't be like this, man. Like, come on, bro. Like, we 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 got we gotta pull ourselves together. We gotta do this for the sport of boxing. We gotta push for these seats to be filled up for them to buy the tickets uh, for us to, you know, see this fight, man. It, it's it's so much that are, that is on the line for this particular fight, man. Man, it's so many blue dots on here, man. This 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 map look like a crypt, man. This is just killing me. I don't know what oh, the hell's going on here, Jay. Uh, well, oh man, don't tell me that this may be the last dot com report in the history of I the boxing source oh, radio show. I can't do this. Yo, even even the the chairs for the the, the seats for the crippled people, the wheelchair chairs, yeah, even them things reopened again. So you telling me that people with wheelchairs return their tickets? Nah, nah, man, they can't. Nah, they can't return tickets, bro. Nah, you can't. I don't know about them like asking for refunds like that. Nah, I don't think so. I think. Uh, I don't know how they're kind of like handling this ticket sale thing because um for for sections to be reopened or you know you know uh thing dots to reappear it's like they kind of like close off the you know sections and then open them up for sale much later than you know when they're supposed to be on sale cuz um but why didn't they just put them all on sale at the same damn time yeah, they should have. Um, they should have done that just to, you know, try to see what the overall demand is for this particular fight and for people to see this particular fight. Um, you don't have it to the point where uh, you could, like, just either open up all sections or open up the sections that are closest to the ring first and then get the get the tickets sold for that, and then open the further seats uh, back. Um, I think they did that for one of the fight cars that was at the Barclays Center, or something like that, um, for one of Wilder's fights. But they just didn't do that here, and I don't know, man. It's 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 kind of looking like how the first fight. Um, ended up as far as ticket sales are concerned. So, well, the first fight did very good with the ticket sales. I don't, I don't know why you're saying that. Well, what is that supposed to mean? Oh, okay. No, I was the talking about a reference to. I was talking about a reference to the thing with uh, the comp tickets and how it got up to a significant comps, amount. What are you talking about? It, it wasn't that many comps. Okay, I'll have about? to fact check on that one. Yeah, I'll have fact to fact check, check on that one. But I'll go to I'll go to our uh, our um, you know our partner in 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 in, in the dot counting, uh, Mister uh, Danny. But <laughs> we'll see what he says in reference to all of that. Uh, well, but, um, price you know, to get in has dropped. To five hundred and four dollars. Oh, the no 
fight to get in has dropped to five hundred and four dollars in the very what last is- row. So, nah. Oh come on, Mike. No. Uh, nah, they they stopped me from from going when I saw that the nosebleeds was whatever I said way back when when I took y'all a screenshot. Seven hundred fifty. Whatever the fuck it was, it was too much for me to sit in the nosebleed. Well, how about five hundred and four? Five hundred and four dollars for the very last row. You know, I'm a boxing fan, and let's say I like Mayweather, but I wouldn't pay a thousand dollars to see him. Not trying to be funny. I don't like him that much. Oh man, so that that's that's what we got here with less than a couple of weeks away uh from the uh heavyweight title fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. So uh there we go folks. That is the dot counting report with Mr. Matthew Brown. Hopefully it's not the last dot count report, but uh he is disappointing with the results that have uh, come in uh, for this. And at the very least, at least he was able to come up with results, unlike Iowa, who still hasn't come up with anything yet. So um, that is the Doc County Report with Mr. Matthew Brown. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, with, with that being said, man, uh I really don't have uh, much else uh, to bring up here for this particular episode. Is there anything else uh, that y'all would like to add? Wow, hey, the real one. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, uh, on on that note, folks, uh, that is the conclusion of the Boxing Source Radio Show. Um, you know, be sure to catch the next episode uh, scheduled for February 16th uh, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I thank uh, all of y'all for calling in to the show. And like I say at the end of every show, the point of boxing is to hit and not get hit. Guillermo ringing out gave y'all a clear example of that. Uh, not to stand in trade. On that note, folks, I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody. I'm sorry, baby.